Hey guys, real quick, if you could do me a favor and please subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't already, would really appreciate that. Today we have a special guest joining us, Matt Ramsey. He is a renowned vocal coach who's worked with some great people and he's helped people of all skill levels improve their singing technique and performance skills. In this episode, we're going to talk to Matt about his career, some famous people who sing great and some who don't sing great and why. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn from one of the best in the business as we talk with Matt about singing and music. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, do you like to do a lot of uh, podcasts and things? And I love it. Yeah, I love doing interviews because it's just, you know, the more people that get to find out about that vocal training and vocal technique is not this like scary, mysterious thing, the better. You know, a lot of people have this idea. It's like you can be 60 years old and pick up a guitar and people will applaud you and they'll be like, wow, that's awesome. You're learning guitar. But uh, people have this idea about singing still that it's like, Oh, you're either born with it, you're born a great singer, or you're not. Um, and I just love to dispel that myth at, at every opportunity that I can. Oh, really? So you feel like you could teach somebody at six years old to become a great singer? You could do that? Yeah. I, I, often, teach, I often teach older students, absolutely. Um, but I think that part of the answer to that question depends on what your definition of what a great singer is. Um, because, you know, there are going to be some people that think, you know, Bob Dylan is a great singer. And I, you know, I love Bob Dylan's music. I love his songwriting. Um, and his voice definitely makes me feel something. Is that the definition of a great singer or is it great vocal technique of somebody that's always on pitch and always on tone all the time? Because he's not those. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, I had Bob Dylan on my list of things to ask you about. Because, yeah I, yeah, I feel like he's an amazing songwriter, maybe one of the best ever. But singing-wise, I just, I never understood that. I, there must have been some record company guy. I mean, I bet you he got turned, I don't know his story, but I'm guessing that he got turned down by a lot of record companies that said, no, we love your songs, but mm, you can't sing them. And then somebody eventually must have taken a chance. And the rest is yeah, history. I if I remember the story correctly, it was kind of one of those things of like, he he was in the New York Village scene and he was just a little bit ahead of the curve. And he, because he was doing folk songs like, mm. you know, Woody Guthrie kind of stuff. Um, and then the the market kind of caught up to what he was doing. And then all of a sudden record labels were like, we got to find more guys like this. Um, and that's when kind of like mm. his singing and his songwriting was like, they're like, okay, this is what we want. We're going to sign this guy. And then, you know, he had one of the, the fiercest agents and managers of all time that was just like super demanding about getting him the best possible deal and the best possible shows and stuff like that. And I think those couple of things together really were, were responsible for the Bob Dylan story. But I mean, I think you'll even see some singers today that still have that kind of phenom quality about them that maybe their their technique isn't really as good as what you would expect is kind of like you know the 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 minimum to be to be a superstar but they still they still like have huge appeal and still have huge shows and stuff like that so i don't know that we're totally out of that 
But I do think that we're out of the era where Bob Dylan could make it. <laughs> well, what about like, but like a like a punk singer? Like I remember when uh-huh. I was in high school yeah. and the song uh, "Time of What Is It?" Time of my life, time yeah. of your life, the Green Day song time of your came life. out. Yeah. I was in high school. That song came out, and my aunt, you know, she's like an older person now. She's like my age, you know, now. But I'm at the time I was like, oh, she's like old, and she goes, you know, that's a really good song, but he's not the best singer. And I was like, right. even at the time in high school, I was like. She's kind of right on that. <laughs> yeah. The way he sings it, it's not, I mean, I don't know how you would you describe that. The punk yeah. song. Dude, that's such, that's such a good example. First of all, I love Billy Joe Armstrong of Green yeah. Day. I love, I love, you know, everything. I kind of grew up with that music. How old are you? I'm a 44. Okay, cool. So I'm 10 years younger-ish. I'm 35. And so I just missed kind of like the pop punk explosion mm-hmm. of like the, the early 90s. But I definitely hit that really, really hard um, once I got to middle and high school, because I had older friends that hit me to everything mm. from that. Um, and so Billy Joe's a really interesting example. And I think a lot of the punk singers share this is that they were kind of channeling a lot of the English bands that came before them, the English punk bands. And so you listen to like the clash and even though they're not English, the Ramones, they all had very, very unique vocal styles that were not quote unquote pretty, but still made you feel something. And when you listen to Time of Your Life, you know, if someone's singing like, another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. <laughs> like if someone's saying that with perfect, perfect vocal technique, yeah. it doesn't, it just doesn't hit right. in the same way that yeah. another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. You know, it's like, yeah. he's not even enunciating the words, but we... <laughs> We kind of love that about, yeah. It, you know, you're right. It's like it doesn't wouldn't sound the same. You kind of need it to be a little rough sometimes. Yeah, and it and it all it all depends on the genre too. You know, with uh, generally speaking, pop music. This is generally, generally, generally speaking, with pop music, and by pop, I mean anything that you would probably hear on the radio. They're going to place a lot more emphasis on the sound of. The, of the tone of the voice and the and the vowel than they are the consonants that someone's singing with. And so consonants are really responsible for being able to understand what somebody is saying to you. Um, so let me give you an example. Yeah, I was going to say, give me an example. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, with uh, musical theater, the consonant is very important because you have to actually understand what the singer is singing in order to catch up to the story, Right. So, um, you know, let me let me think of an example here. <laughs> so, um, if you think of like Pink's song, um, I love uh, Pink. just give just give me a reason. I love that right song. Right from the start, you were a thief. You stole my heart, and I, a willing victim. Right? She's not saying. Right from the start, you were a thief. You stole my heart, and I, your willing victim. You know, she's not singing it like you would on Broadway, where it's like you want everyone in the audience to catch exactly what it is that she's saying. No, she makes you want to feel something, you know? Mm-hmm. Right from the start, you were a thief, you stole my heart, and I, your willing victim. You know, it's like she's placing a lot more emphasis on the vowels. And I, your willing victim. Victim, not victim. You know, hmm. she's not like cutting it super short. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and what's what's kind of cool to go back to the Bob Dylan thing is like typically singers should be sustaining on vowels, and Bob Dylan usually sustains 
on the consonants. Right? So, like, how does it feel? It's like, <laughs> not how does it feel? Yeah. How does it feel? You know, he's kind of making it into like this nasal consonant thing. <laughs> because you lied. You know, it's just so, it's such an interesting approach. And again, I don't know if that would fly today, um, but it certainly worked back then. And that's not for any shortage of of great singers. There were so many great singers in the 60s, too. You know, the Zombies and um, the Turtles, like a lot of the the bands, Mamas and the Papas, they had so many great vocally talented groups out there. Um, but at the same time, like you still had that one voice that was kind of cutting through everything because he was so on the so on the cutting edge in the vanguard. Yeah. And don't you think the 80s, it's kind of like everything was so perfect in ways like even with the guitar, you had like Eddie Van Halen. I mean, yeah. they're hitting every note perfectly. And then it was like you just had to shake that up with like the Green Days and the punk and the Nirvanas and like singing off key. Like, I mean, talk about Cobain and how he totally flipped the rock world upside down with his vocal vocal stylings. I mean, because at the time it was the high pitched, uh, perfect, you know, high note singing, screaming. And he just did like totally kind of almost off key. 100 percent. Yeah. So with Cobain, that was really interesting. That was kind of the voice that kind of showed everybody, oh, you can like do this completely opposite thing. And I think that it was just a time in like the marketplace of ideas that people were ready for things not to be so, you know, ah, yeah, you know. I do love that stuff too. Though, <laughs> I yeah. love that stuff too. But it was like, like you were saying, it was so... um the music itself was so polished and, and polished, in a lot of ways, a word, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, it was really predictable. There was nothing, there was not a, a beat out of place, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't super organic. And so when you had bands like Nirvana and Soundgarden um, and Pearl Jam come out that even though they played their instrument, most of them... <laughs> played their instruments pretty well um there was still an element of organicness to them that felt really real and half the time you couldn't tell what cobain was singing you couldn't tell what eddie uh vetter was singing um but again they made you feel something so that's kind of to to bring a central thesis to to these kinds of things about what makes a great voice and what makes a great singer it's just it's not their necessarily their technical chops it's not necessarily their amount of vocal training or how much they practice it's can they make you feel something and hopefully is that something that you're feeling a good thing <laughs> well yeah i was going to ask you about that too because i know you're a big elliot smith fan which i am as well uh, love love elliot smith and uh that's definitely one where uh i feel the emotion i mean I, obviously part of that's probably the songs that he's writing but also definitely. i think that, with a lot of singers, uh, it's how they they're singing out the emotion. I just had on this girl, uh, this uh, French girl, and uh, I could tell when she was Laura, singing. She a lot right. of yeah, Laura Cox, and she's yeah. she does some cover. She did a cover of Rocket Man, which that song's been done a million times. But some of the way she did it, I was like, I can f- like feel the emotion in her voice. How do you now? You have a lot of videos on your YouTube channel about how to sing and how to you know hit this note and that note and things, but you don't have anything about how to. St- get the emotion into your voice. How, how do people, how do you teach that? Or can you teach that? Yeah, 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 you, you absolutely can. So the reason that I don't have as much content around, I do have some videos around like finding your own natural voice. 
Um, and I think that that in the short answer is kind of how you find that emotionality in your voice. But the reason why the, there's less of that content and there's more about the technical stuff is because so many of the singers that I see, it's really cool that you brought that up because I haven't thought about it that way before, is that most of the singers that I see are kind of putting the cart before the horse. You know, most of them are going for the emotion first and the technique comes later. Mm. There was this um, there was this great video that I saw of, and I, I don't think I'm calling anyone out here, um, but there was this great video of Katy Perry when she was like, she was like judging for, I think it was America's Got Talent or something. And she was uh, judging this singer and the singer was doing just like a, a perfect Adele impression. But the problem was, and she was singing Set Fire to the Rain, but the problem was this girl was completely off pitch and she couldn't like, she, oh. I mean, it was like exactly sounded like Adele, but it was totally off pitch. Huh. And so it's one of those things of like, you could tell that something didn't smell right, <laughs> even though she had really great style. Yeah. She just and, and there was emotionality to what she was singing. And if she was on pitch, you would have felt something. But in the moment, you just kind of felt sorry for her. And that's not what you want to make people feel when they hear you sing, right? And so that's why I focus so much on some of the technical aspects like, you know, improving your range and singing more on pitch and like being able to hit high notes because not only are those, you know, important things to people, it's also kind of like if you don't have those, then the style that you're singing with doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. How did you learn all that stuff? Like, how did you become a voice teacher, a voice coach? Whatever is that? What you call voice coach or voice teacher? You can, yeah, you can call me a vocal coach, a voice teacher, singing teacher, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a lot of people that think that there's kind of like a difference between those, and but these days, you know, everyone calls you different things, so mm -hmm. it's whatever. It all all makes sense to me. Um, I'll answer to any of those. But basically, um, I was in advertising. I studied advertising in school. And I was really, really lucky to get this internship in San Francisco. And so I flew out to San Francisco and I did this internship in advertising and realized that I absolutely hated it. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was like, you know, crazy 14 hour work days. And at the end of it, I was decidedly not hired because they were like, this guy is not not doing uh, what he's supposed to be doing. And it was true. I was just like. Even though I was there in, in body for those 14 hours a day, it still, it just wasn't, there's was something about it that wasn't quite right. And so at the end of the three months when they not hired me, fired me, whatever you want to call it, I was unemployed, living in San Francisco, and I was like sitting in the park one day and I was like, if that's the thing, that's the worst thing that could happen to me is like this thing that I think I'm crazy passionate about and it doesn't work out, what would I actually do with my life? And music had always been there for me. I'd been singing in, in punk bands and stuff like that in high school, but I didn't have any technique to talk about. Um, I really wasn't any good at all. Um, and I'd never really tried writing songs. And so for the first time in my life, I actually started writing songs and singing them. But rather than them coming out as punk songs, which is what I listened to in, in high school, instead they were coming out as like folky singer-songwriter songs, which is when I really got into Elliot Smith and stuff like that. Mm. The problem is that a lot of those guys are really great singers, and a lot of them sing really high. And so mm -hmm. I would go and I would play in the train stations with my guitar and just sing you know, to the crowds of people that were passing by, 
And at the end of an hour, my voice would be completely shot, like gone. Like every time I would try to go to a high note, you know, just like Tarzan out on me. Hmm. And so for the first time, I actually tried to find some vocal training. And so I found this great vocal coach out in the Bay Area and I started taking some lessons with him. Flash forward a year I decided wait, to wait, from... wait, I because I saw a video where you talked about this. Is this one yeah. of the guy that was like, why are you singing like a 13 year old girl? Because yes. you're trying to sing like Elliot Smith. So was yes. it part of that finding your own vocal style and you totally changed your voice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was one of those weird things of like, so I, I moved to Austin and I found a great vocal coach here named Gene and I started taking lessons with Gene and um you know, it was kind of one of those things of just like, you know, kismet, like everything just happened at the right time. Um, the vocal coach that I was seeing in the Bay Area, although he was really good technically, there was something just about our chemistry that didn't totally gel for whatever reason. And then, but when I when I met Gene and I started taking lessons with him, I was like, okay, this guy I get, like we get each other. And so I started taking weekly lessons with him. And yeah, there was just this this one weird time where, you know, I was like, uh, at the end of like 20 minutes of exercises he was like okay what do you want to sing and i was like oh you know what i'll sing uh uh say yes by elliot smith and so i do that i'm in love with the world through the eyes of a girl who's still around and like you know it's just like singing like this basically like <laughs> El- what i thought my elliot yeah. smith voice was like and i'd sung it hundreds and hundreds of times that way and he was like, yeah, I just have one question. So, like, how old are you? And I'm like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm 23, Gene. And he's like, okay, so why are you singing like a 13-year-old girl? <laughs> and at the, to- at the time, it really stung. But his point was like, you know, if you listen to my voice, my speaking yeah. voice, you know, I don't. I don't go around like talking like this, like, right. you know, like Michael Jackson, you know, <laughs> like I have like, you know, this brash, bright, resonant, loud uh, AF voice. And so, you know, you put that same kind of a voice on that. And it's, I'm in love with the world through the eyes of a girl. You know, it's like it's a little bit closer to what my actual singing voice is rather mm-hmm. than just trying to do my best Elliot Smith impression, which is what I think a lot of beginning singers do is they're like, Oh, I started singing because I really love the sound of this singer's voice. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best them impression. Mm. But again, kind of like we were talking about with like the girl that sang like Adele, it's like, if you try to go all the way there first, if you try to sound just like that person first, without actually having the technique and the chops to back it up, most of the time it's going to backfire. Yeah. So then when did you start the YouTube channel? Oh, so I actually had a, I had a a really good student who's also named Matt. And uh, he was like, man, that, that thing you just taught me, that was really cool. Like you should start putting this on YouTube. You should start doing videos. And I was like, no way, man, I'm good. I just, all I want to do is, is teach. And, um, but eventually I was like, eh, maybe I'll try it. And so I started doing it and I started getting a really cool response to my videos. And just it was really, really um, interesting to be able to reach people all over the world with, you know, these simple videos that would just mm-hmm. kind of go everywhere. Um, and then I started getting more and more serious and more and more serious. And eventually it started building up to the point where I was 
doing you know about two different jobs like two kind of mm -hmm. halves of jobs like i was teaching in person uh and you know uh, online like via skype and in zoom and all that stuff and then the other half was like content creation and actually shooting videos and and putting things together to try to reach as many people as possible and so wow how yeah. long did it take you to grow because you're at like almost three hundred thousand subscribers it's crazy millions of views yeah. Five years, I think. Five years ago is when I started, I think. Wow. And so I liked, I liked that you asked Laura Cox that same question, too, because I'm not as good looking as Laura, and I just want to show no. people that... <laughs> There's like, hope no. for me is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so also keep in mind, too, because I assume that you want to grow your channel, too, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, but it's like... it's it's different with a podcast. I feel like, cause people are just, they don't have the patience for th even 30 minute videos. I feel like a lot of times is, is maybe too long or I don't know. I mean, it's, a podcast is such a different format than just like, okay, I need to learn something or I want to watch entertaining, you know, a three minute, four minute song, or I need to learn how to do this certain thing. I'll look it up on YouTube, but not a lot of people are looking up, you know, my interviews on YouTube. And then a lot of the, the guests I've had, they've been on other podcasts. So now I'm competing and so that's, <laughs> it's really tough. It's a competitive thing for podcasts. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about that for a second. If I can ship, if I can take off my vocal coach hat for a sure. second and, and put on my YouTube, yes, uh, YouTube please help coach me. vocal hat for a second is you'll notice that there are lots of other podcasts, like let's say Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman and, and others like that. And whatever you think about those people personally they get millions and millions and millions and millions of views. And sometimes their videos are three hours long, mm -hmm. right? So it can be done. The difference is in the content, right? So like those guys are well known for getting really, really high level guests, right? And that's just one way of doing it. That's just one way of getting a lot of views to your channel. Another way would be like, you know, taking a really interesting segment of a specific interview that you did and, and busting that out into like one small piece of content, you know, something that is digestible. So rather than it being, you know, an hour conversation, people are like, oh, I have to listen to this whole thing um, to even if they find it interesting, it's like you can take out little pieces of that. Now, for me, I have a different niche in that I'm more like YouTube uh, vocal instruction mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So for me, even I have lots of different types of content that I do. Like I'll do the kind of, you know, one-on-one -on -one kind of like instructional thing where I'm like, okay, now sing a ma, 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 ma. You know, I'll give them an exercise or something like that on camera. But I also do reaction videos where I'm like reacting to other singers and the techniques that they're doing. Um, I've also done like interviews with music industry experts and stuff like that. So, and, and the truth is, is that as time goes on, you start to find what hits better. And then you want to just like really nail down. Like my guess is that there's probably a specific kind of guest that you have on that does a little bit better than other kinds. Does that mean that you need to stop doing the other kinds? No. But it does maybe give you a clue about like, oh, this is kind of what people in my audience are interested in. And also, you'll notice that that will change over time. <laughs> I have this kind of crazy thing that I did where, um, I don't know if you know this, but Filipinos are crazy about singing. Nuts about singing. They absolutely love everything about it, vocals. Singer from Journey's Filipino, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new, the new one is. Yeah, exactly. And um, and he's just he's one of 
millions upon millions of great singers from the Philippines. And so it's just a huge part of their culture. Hmm. And so I started reacting to a couple of Filipino singers um, for my channel. And it they would like instantly get like hundreds of thousands of views. And like it's like all the Filipinos were talking to each other. They're like, okay, we've got a, a new vocal coach that's like reacting to our stuff. Um, and the funny thing is, is that because those videos were doing so well, I started doing more of them and started doing more of them. And then pretty soon I started looking at my YouTube analytics and it was like, rather than my audience being from America or the UK or wherever else that I could potentially get like real students from, they're all from the Philippines. <laughs> and so uh -huh. it's like one of those weird things of like, you know, positive feedback. It's like, you know, you want to make, you want to have an idea of, of who you want to talk to uh, first and then, you know, make content that kind of speaks to that person and then, you know, uh, whatever you see of that that's performing well, you know, do more and more stuff like that. So what you're saying is I need to make Filipino singing reaction videos. Yes, that is that's the that's the uh, if if your if your goal is to get a lot of views, then that there are a lot of things that you can do. If your if your goal is just to get subscriber numbers up, that's definitely something you can do. But if you're trying to get good subscribers or, you know, what quote unquote good means for yeah. me is like if I'm trying to, you know, promote my singing courses or, you know, promote my my coaching or whatever, um, then maybe that's not the best audience to go to because they already have, you know, so many different um, coaches that they look to. And it's like it's a tight competition there. Um, so instead, I've found that, like, you know, reacting to um, for whatever reason, you know, people with my channel really, really resonate with um whistle register stuff they really uh, uh resonate with high note stuff hmm. they really resonate with how to find your own true voice so those are kind of like those are kind of like types of of videos that i do a lot and it's uh it pays off well so i would just say like kind of finding kind of finding what when people think about the chuck shoot you know what does what is it that they really think about and also for chuck shoot like you be thinking about like who do i really want to be talking to Right. And and try to create stuff around that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think like the Joe Rogan stuff, like I think it's interesting because what I like about his show, it's like a variety. You know, he'll have yeah. like rock stars on. He'll have comedians and he'll have these like scientists and psychologists. And I love that. Like because there's a lot of people um, that we're all show this a lot of the same guests with other podcasters. I'm friends with them. And a lot of them are more strictly music. And I love music stuff, too. But. Uh, I just can't do just music. I just get burned out on interviewing sure. musicians. It's and this is this is why this interview is kind of fun because we're talking something totally different yeah. than like a band that you were in that broke up then got back together and those kinds of things. So um, yeah, it's fascinating stuff talking about uh, different singers. But one of the things so the, on your website you have how you test your vocal range. Yeah, and I think I did it, and I'm two octaves, which I that's I don't awesome. think that, I don't think that's very good though. Is it's it? It's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, for, for the humble listener at home, it's at rangefinder.ramseyvoice.com. And it's basically like it's an app that I coded um, or had someone code um, where basically you like enable the microphone on your phone or on your desktop or whatever. And then you sing your lowest note, uh, like whatever it happens to be. And then you sing your highest note ah, or whatever it happens to be. And then it'll spit out what your vocal range is. It'll be like, what's yours? Okay. Um, generally, so. Uh, I will answer your question in a in an interesting way. So I have 
a usable range, like a good sounding range from about C3, that's that note right there, up to about a G5, okay? So, and typically C5 below that sounds even better. So that's about two octaves right there. So to answer your question, I have like two octaves that sound pretty good, but I have an absolute range, which is like the very lowest all the way to the very highest of about three octaves, hmm. you know, between like two and a half to three octaves. So most untrained singers only have about an octave and a half. So the fact that you can do two hmm. is already a good thing. Wow. Now, in addition to that, the real point is how good do those notes sound? <laughs> yeah, I would need some help for sure. Yeah, because I mean, you can probably squeak out like an oh or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I think um, that's all I did. I just did the like the lowest and then the highest. Right, yeah. right, right. And that's that's a really good place to start um, is like knowing what your absolute range is. But as we would work together or, you know, maybe you got one of my courses or something like that, it'd be really about nailing down on like, okay, so you're really strong here, but you're kind of weak here. Like, let's work on these notes in order to make those sound as good as possible. Um, it's actually kind of rare that I meet somebody that has like a really limited vocal range it's more common that I meet somebody that has like a good vocal range, like what we were just talking about. Like I think two octaves and up is great. Um, but it's really more about making all those notes sound good. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Axel Rose is the one he's got the biggest, right? Six, five or six. So it kind of depends on, on how you look at it. There, there's another singer called Tim storms that he kind of yeah. sings into like the uh, subharmonics. You know, the Guinness oh. book of world records or something. Yeah. And then there's also Adam Lopez that, uh, sings incredibly high. So it really just kind of Mike Patton from faith. Oh, dude, he's up there too, right? He's, he's definitely he's up there. Amazing. Yeah. And, and he, they're all, they're all, it's interesting that you brought up those four different singers because is it four Axel, Tim Storms, Mike Patton, and did we say one more? Uh, no, but I think the other ones, like you said, like uh, Slipknot's Corey Taylor is one. David Lee Roth is was up there. Uh, we should also throw in the Mariah Carey. Mariah uh, Carey, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because what a lot of those singers do is they explore the extremes of the vocal range. Hmm. So there's kind of like what you would think of as like the typical areas of your vocal range, like the bottom part of your voice, the chest voice, sounding kind of like that, ah, uh, just kind of like your speaking voice. Uh, and then you have the the higher notes in your voice, like your your head voice, like that, ah, those, those higher notes in your voice. So there's those kind of two main registers that singers spend a lot of time, um, you know, working between those two different voices. But what's interesting about all of those singers that we just mentioned is that they spend a lot of time below or above those different voices. Below that, you have vocal fry, which is kind of like that. Uh, yeah. What is the? I I found that interesting that. that that's actually part of like some people sing that way, or yes. I thought that was something that just like the the teenage girls do nowadays. Is that like? <laughs> Yeah. How, how did that ha did that just become something that they learned from mimicking other girls or why is that such a phenomenon right now? So I think you can trace most of it back to the Kardashians. <laughs> so Damn it. it all it all comes back to them. Yeah. They're like they're like the key to the whole thing. Um no, but but being serious, I mean Britney Spears like used it in um hit me hit me baby one more time. Oh baby, baby. Hmm. Uh, oh, ba uh, you know, she uses that hmm. to kind of 
add some sensuality and some emotionality to those to those words. And we even hear that today, like in um, Too Good at Goodbyes by Sam Smith. You must think that I'm stupid. You must think that you must think that I'm a fool. You know, he adds just a little uh, to the to the beginning of those things. And so there's some kind of interesting stuff about about that. So the way that I'm doing it right now is not in tune. It's not tuned. It's not on a pitch exactly. You could look at it and you could actually look at it on like a, a, a vocal pitch monitor and you could see that there are actual technically real notes because I'm actually singing real frequencies. Any sound that you make with your voice is going to have theoretically some frequency that you can measure to it. Like it's some sort of like an A sharp or B flat or whatever it happens to be. But how do, um, how does somebody get stuck in it so that that's their speaking voice? And then they just walk around like, hi, yeah, totally. Like, that's just how they talk. Yeah. In every, how do they get, can you untrap that? Could you coach the Kardashians to talk normal or is that, is it too late? No, well, I don't think you could tell them to do anything. Uh, I think that <laughs> if they wanted to learn though, if or they wanted to learn, all, absolutely. Somebody else, maybe not the Kardashians, but somebody who got stuck into that vocal fry voice. Cause I feel yeah. like it's almost permanent. For some uh, of these girls. It's, it's not it's it's not permanent, but it is a, a self-fulfilling bad habit hmm. because it's like they start doing it and it's pretty easy to just let your voice just kind of like hang out down there. And then they just kind of like <laughs> stay there for a while. And like every hmm. once in a while they'll get out of it, but then they're right back down. And it's like, you know, it, it takes less breath pressure to actually speak that way. And so ah. you'll notice like people will speak like a really, really long time, long time, long time. And then pretty soon at the very end, it just kind of drops down to that. Um, so it's so, almost a lazy way of talking is what you're saying. Your words, not mine, Chuck. Okay. Um, no, just because it's it it is kind of like a it's kind of a controversial issue. They've done studies about the vocal fry sound, and the crazy thing is, is like I think at the time of the study, it was like this is maybe like ten years ago that like people like fifty and older just could not stand to hear that at all. Period. End of sentence. Like anybody that spoke with vocal fry like that automatically lost a lot of authority hmm. in their in their eyes but people like 50 and younger and in, the younger that you went it was like they didn't it didn't even register it didn't bother them at all so it's really been this kind of interesting thing of like i don't speak in vocal fry a whole lot um but there are a lot of people that they don't care if it's vocal fry hmm. and 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 speaking like normally, quote unquote, normally to you and me, like up here in like a normal speaking voice is totally, that's totally fine. But yeah, it's one of those weird things of we had this kind of moment in culture where particularly influential people started going from like, oh, like this is like the Valley Girl, you know, yeah, like, there was that like too. That. And then it just dropped and then nobody <laughs> cares about anything. It's like, it's fine. Like, Chloe, calm down. Um, and it's just, <laughs> it's one of those weird things that it's like, you know, it's good. And like we were talking about with the Bob Dylan thing, like there are different moments in history where, you know, vocal things go in and out, you know, vocal trends and fads go in and out. During the 80s, it was all about like how high you could sing, you know? And during the 90s, it was like sounding like you don't give a crap about anything. And it was like huh. screw technique. We never like every almost any of those singers 
even like the amazing, amazing singers like Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, like kind of openly had disdain for any sort of vocal technique stuff, even though he's one of the best vocal technique singers of all time. So it's kind of one of those things of like, like saying like, ah, we don't care about this. And then the early 2000s, of course, depending what genre you look at, it was back to like polished with like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Auto-Tune came out. And then pretty soon Auto-Tune just took over everything and everybody was using it everywhere. So yeah, it's just, yeah, vocal trends that go in and out, man. It's hmm. very wild. Yeah. How much of music nowadays you think is using the Auto-Tune and how is there is it, it easy to tell? All of it. Really? All of it's using auto-tune. Not, not necessarily auto-tune. There's two main softwares. When I say two main softwares, there's a million different pieces of software that do this now. But there's primarily auto-tune and Melodyne. And both of them kind of do somewhat similar things. But basically, you'll be able to see like what pitch you're singing. And you'll see how flat or how sharp it is. And you'll, act, you'll actually be able to take your mouse and, and bounce it up to the right pitch. Um, uh-huh. And it's amazing how natural they sound. And you can actually play around with how accurate it is because if it sounds too accurate, if it sounds too correct, then it will sound kind of robotic. It will sound kind of, yeah, computerized. And so you can actually play around with how much those effects actually impact the sound too. Um, And I've been in those recording sessions where it's like, even with really great singers, where someone's just a little sharp in one take, but that take had a lot of emotion to it, had a lot of feeling to it, and so they just bump it slightly. But mm. I've also been a part of those recording sessions where they're not within a mile of the pitch. I'm talking about like a fifth of range, which is like seven half steps, like a lot of pitch, and then you just whoop, bump it right up, and then all of a sudden, they're singing fine. <laughs> So are these pop, are these people that would sing live though, because they wouldn't be able to replicate it, right? Well, that's a good question. So not to name any names, but there are some like really, really, um, there are some well-known celebrity vocalists out there um, that (laughs) I'm trying not to name any names because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But basically there are a lot of really famous kind of like teeny bopper style singers that, that they're not they can't hold it together live. Yeah. They have to all. use auto tune live. Uh, there is that. Yeah, there is auto tune live. And then there is also just having a lot of backup singers to okay. drown out what it is that you're uh, doing. Okay. Have you worked <laughs> with uh, big names singers or you work with more local or typically, typically it's kind of funny. So like I have worked with a couple of big name singers and, and been in the coaching sessions with them, which is really fun. Um, and it's very exciting. But I actually, my sweet spot is with adult beginners. Like, Mm -hmm. I love teaching people that are like, they're getting started on this music journey because that was kind of my story, too. It's like, you know, I started, you know, actually taking lessons properly at like 21, 22, 23, like well after the age that a lot of people think that you should start vocal training. I don't know. Yeah. It's that's still pretty young. I would say adults like uh, more like 30, 40. So like yeah, it's is like you're kind of a kid still basically. Yeah, but, I definitely but. I definitely was a kid. It's yeah. absolutely true. Um but I would say that um yeah, that's the age ranges that you named like 30s, 40s. That tends to be the kind of people that I attract and I love working with adult beginners because they practice. That's it's cool. hard it's hard to tell someone 
that's already incredibly successful at what they're doing that they need to do something differently because huh. they they have all this feedback saying that's not the case. Um, and it's not it's not saying that I don't know how to work with celebrities or anything like that. It's just you have to take what they're already doing. The train's already going and you have to kind of hop on and try to just steer things just slightly mm. to help you out. Um, when you're working with really high profile people, it's usually about helping them do what they do, but better. So mm. it's like, for instance, like Corey Taylor, for instance, I didn't work with Corey, but like he's already a very good singer, but he really strains a lot when he sings. So it's not necessarily about saying, hey, Corey, you need to start singing like an opera singer, you know, or anything like that. That's going to totally destroy his career. Instead, it's more about helping Corey sing in that really strainy, powerful, cool way, but without destroying his voice. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you have the adult beginners, these are just people that have started in their 30s and 40s or 50s or older or whatever. Why are they taking vocal lessons just as a hobby or are they trying to start a music career or are they, what are they, or is it maybe sometimes, is it maybe an actor or somebody that wants to sing in a musical or something? Dude, it's, it's all three of those. It could be oh. any, it could be any situation. Um, I would say a pretty common one is that when you get in your, I don't know this personally because I'm not in my forties yet, but what I've heard. Don't do it. It sucks. People, <laughs> I'm going to try not to. I'm going to, I'm just going to stay right here. Um, I've heard that, you know, you just don't care as much about what people think. And so that's true. Oh, it's one and, benefit. Yes. And that kind of allows people to be like, you know what? This guy is telling me that you can learn to sing and that you can write your own songs. Screw it. Let's try it. Let's just see what, let's see what happens. And maybe I'll be surprised. And it's amazing when I get people like that that are really open because amazing things really can happen. Hmm. I mean, I, I teach this one guy this as an extreme example. I'm actually teaching him later today. His name's Bill. And he's, a, I believe he's a 69 or 70. He, I called him 70 a few weeks ago. And he's like, I'm, don't age me. I'm not there yet. But he's like 70 years old-ish. And he has been able to find... Uh, what we call a mixed voice, which is the blend between the bottom and the top parts of your voice, which is incredibly difficult mm. for even even uh, even younger singers than that. It's really, really hard to find that mixed voice between the bottom and the top. So rather than going, ah, and having that big break, ah, being able to to sing back and forth between those two places hmm. without a big break he's been able to find that in dude 70 so it's like i mean there's not really an age limit on this obviously our, our voice does change as we age but um for him he was just kind of like this is something i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to be able to sing my songs better i've learned learning how to play guitar i want to learn how to be able to sing along with it and hmm. then i've also had people that are like they're like you know, in their maybe let's say their 40s and now they have a lot of money and they're like, I want to finally record this album that I've always dreamed of recording. I've got all these songs. I've been working on these songs for 10 years. Can you help me sing them better? And that's that's all that's such a pleasure, too, because it's like when people have like a really clear goal, that is just so, so powerful about what what they want to do and they'll practice. Yeah. And then, and then there are people in like their 30s and 40s that are like, I've got 
I've got money, I've got time, I've, I'm, you know, I'm doing this job that pays me well, and, but it's not leaving me totally creatively satisfied. And so they see they they want to have you know a creative hobby on the side too. Yeah. So you talk about uh, singers as they get older, uh, their voice is changing. I know, like obviously, like a guy like Steven Tyler. I mean, that guy yeah. I feel like is amazing, and that's an anomaly. He can still sing. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if he's at the top of his game, but he's pretty damn close. He doesn't sound that much different. Whereas other singers. I don't know if I should name names like they don't sound the same and they're struggling in concert. Bon Jovi. <laughs> bon yeah, Jovi. That's, I just saw a video about that and they were saying him um, and of that era, especially the eighties, because yeah. I think that that era of music is so, it was such a hard way to sing anyway. Yes. And yes. so now as those guys get older, I mean, is there anything, can you, is there anything you can do about that? Or is that just kind of life and there's not much that can be done? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say like, I, I know I'm joking about Bon Jovi and naming names there, but like his, I'm actually putting together a video about kind of what's going on with him because mm. there's a lot of people that as you get older, the, the, the consensus kind of is that it's not even necessarily just getting older. It's kind of more of like the compounding effects of, of getting sick over the course of your lifetime kind of really weighs on your throat, really weighs on your voice and what you're capable of doing. Mm. So it's like the, there was a lot of um, there were a lot of rumors that with Bon Jovi um, was that he had COVID and because he had COVID, um, you know, there was some like kind of weakness that was kind of, uh, you know, affecting his vocal cords. And I can de definitely attest to that. I had COVID twice in the space of, I think, four months, which is kind of crazy. I got two completely different variants and my voice was not able to do nearly what it should have been for like a couple of months after that. And so obviously I'm not a super older guy or anything like that, but even just something like that can really, really take a singer down a peg. Um, Steven Tyler's an interesting case in that like he um, would, he would get seen a whole lot of times when he was like, even in his forties and fifties and doctors would see him and there'd be like, there's no way that you should be able to sing like this. There's, this is crazy. Like your, your vocal cords should not be able to do what they're doing. And then a couple of years later, he had all these vocal problems. Ugh. And so it's, yeah. And it, but now he's like, he got, you know, surgery to correct those and stuff like that. And now he's back on his game, but you're bringing up a really good point about like some styles of music are way more punishing than others. Like, you know, you can you could sing Frank Sinatra. I mean, Frank Sinatra was on a on his at the highest that Sinatra ever sang. He was singing like a G4, which is like this note right here. Ma, 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 ma. That note right there. That's uh, in other words, in other words. I mean, that's like that's the highest that he ever went. And he basically just did it in chest voice. Then compare that to what Steven Tyler and Bon Jovi are doing. Like you know, a fifth higher than that, a sixth higher than that, an octave higher than that. And it's just dream on, dream on. I mean, that's hard. That's hard on your voice, no matter how old you are. So it's one of those weird things of like when they were 20 and 30 and they were writing these songs in these ranges, 
they probably didn't think I'm going to have to be singing this for the next 50 years. Yeah. Well, and then talk about this because I think I, I, I'm not positive on this, but I, I think it was Mariah Formica who I had on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Plush. They're kind of up and coming, but she's younger. She's also singing with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and oh, cool. she's an amazing singer. And she was saying, I think it was her that was saying this about how it's related uh, also to your abs. Like she says, if I do a lot of ab workouts and my abs are in really good shape, I can really, it's easier to belt things out. Whereas if, if my abs are struggling or my abs will be sore after I sing. So is that, is that related to it? Well, I don't want to take anything away from what works for anyone. So if, you know, if I had a singer that came into me and said, Hey Matt, the secret to me being able to hit those high notes is that I do a hundred sit-ups every day. I'd be like, yeah, man, keep doing it. Um, my understanding of the way that the voice works it's a lot more about different factors coming together really well. So the breath, which is kind of what she's talking about, like, you mm. know, like the, the, the diaphragm. Diaphragm, having, yeah. Yeah, and having strong abdominal support. That's kind of one piece. I've definitely worked with a lot of singers that they have great support for their breath, but the vocal cords aren't actually really doing what they need to be doing. So there's basically three different parts. There's like the breath, there's what the vocal cords are doing, and then there's the resonance, everything uh, like above your vocal cords, what's going on inside your mouth and all of that stuff. And so those three different systems kind of have to work together in in uh, concert in order to really sing well. So if that breath support is really strong with her, but you know maybe the, the vocal cords aren't doing their job, then it's still not going to sound right. And you could also have these first two. You could have the breath support and you could your vocal cords could be doing what they're supposed to be doing. But if the resonance isn't working, maybe you sound like super nasal or super strained oh. or, or super, super operatic. So then what's going on like with Vince Neil of Molly mm -hmm. Crew? Like, I mean, I love Vince. I'm a huge crew fan. It does seem like as he's gotten older, he's he's struggling. Is that yeah. I know he's gained some weight. And I don't want to fat shame anybody, but is that is that part of him struggling with his voice? Because it sounds like he 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 runs he can't like finish the song, and then he'll he'll give it to the crowd because yeah. he's, it's almost like he's out of breath or so. Like he's okay, you guys sing it. Okay, yeah. let me sing, it. and then he has to like take a like a minute to like catch his breath. Is that what's going on with him? Have you seen him I mean, live? I, I haven't seen him live, but I mean, I can tell you that like you should do That's what you should do. Vince Neil live reactionary video. That's your next. I'll, one. Okay. I'll write it down. Hold on. Yeah. No, I'm telling you that would be a good one. Oh, I'm going to write it down. I'll do it. Um, because, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that could be going on there. You know, first of all, um, weight gain in itself won't necessarily limit your ability to breathe. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're like staying fit and other, other things like that, but you know, you could potentially be looking at something, you know, in his case, I'm just guessing here, you know, maybe some acid reflux or something like that is like affecting the vocal folds that, you know, the body is one holistic package. And so are the, the vocal cords are a part of that. It's the only instrument that you really have inside of your body. And so what happens to your body is also going to affect your vocal cords. So yeah, weight gain could definitely uh, apply to that. He's also a lot older than when he recorded those songs, too. And those songs were hard to sing when he was young. So, like, adding, you know, more, you know, adding age and all these other different factors to that, too, could also be contributing to that. I also remember him as being a very athletic performer. Like, he'd be running around the stage, like, doing a lot of stuff. That's going to make you out of breath, too, if you're not in shape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... 
So yeah, yeah the, it's definitely one of those things to go back to the the other singer that you mentioned. It's like, you know, staying in good physical shape is really, really integral to being a great singer as well. Um, because it's not even necessarily going to make your vocal cords themselves work better. But if the rest of your body is working well and you're not dealing with the same inflammation and stuff like that, then other things are going to work well too. Mm -hmm. So then how do people like Aretha Franklin, I mean, she is not a thin woman and she said, and like Adele, when she was a little bit bigger, I mean, those people could hit those notes and belt it out and sounded amazing. How is that different? How is it? Why is it different for them? Well, I would say that it just kind of goes back to those three systems that I was talking about. It's like, you know, those other two singers that you mentioned, Adele and um, Aretha, they they had all of it figured out. They had great breath support. They had their vocal cords working correctly. They had all the resonance that they needed. Um, and so, you know, just having been in bigger bodies doesn't necessarily diminish any of that. You know, it's just like when you add on all the external factors that that can really start to derail things, you know? How much of uh, singing do you think of, of good singers? How much do you think of it as just natural born innate talent versus like hard work and using these techniques and warmups and practicing and all that stuff? Man, that's such a good question. And it's, it's one of those things that it's very difficult to answer in like a numerical way. But basically, you're not going to find any great, great, great singer like I'm talking about, like top grossing singer or whatever that doesn't work with a vocal coach. They're going to they may act like they're not working with somebody, hmm. but they work with somebody in order to prevent um, injuries. They mm-hmm. work with someone it's just like a, you know, just like an athlete would. It's like, you know, they may not say, oh, yeah, I work with this team over here to, you know, cool me down or to to help me warm up my muscles or to help train me or whatever. But they definitely have a lot of people helping them behind the scenes. Um so you're not going to find any top grossing singer that isn't working with somebody. They're all working with somebody. Don't know how often, but a lot of them bring vocal coaches on tour with them in order to help warm them up and cool them down before and after shows. Michael Jackson had Seth Riggs, the, his vocal coach, warm him up three times a day. An hour from 10 to 11 in the morning, uh, 45 minutes or 30 minutes like uh, from 1 to 1.30, and then for 15 minutes right before he went on stage. Wow. Yeah, he always wanted to be like right at the top of his game and his work ethic was just crazy good. So Mm. a lot of people hear like someone like Michael Jackson and they're like, oh, yeah, he's been singing since he was six years old. He was great then. He's even better now. Well, there was a lot of work that went into all of that, too. So you could potentially help some of these guys like Bon Jovi, maybe get back to, I mean, again, maybe Bon Jovi was just sick that one time. We don't know. But yeah, um, I mean, you can't improve some of this stuff even as they get older. Absolutely. Yeah, you can you can help people get some of some of their juice back. Mm-hmm. Um not not always all of it. Like are you going to make I don't know how old Bon Jovi is now, but let's say like he's 50 something or 60 something, you're not going to make him sound like the 20-year-old version of himself again, but you can make him sound like the best 50 or 60-year-old version of mm. him that he is right now. You can't yeah. turn back the clock. Right. But you can definitely get people some functionality back. And one one place that you see that a lot, and I see that a lot as a vocal coach, is working with people that have had um, vocal pathologies. They've had like uh, a vocal hemorrhage, which is like a bruise of the... Of the um, 
of the tissues and the vocal cords, or they've had uh, vocal nodules or something like that, um, which is kind of like a callus um, that forms in between the vocal cords in your throat from overuse. And you work with those people and it's like, it kind of sounds like they have a big hole in their voice from where, where that part, where, where the vocal cords aren't touching anymore. That's a really simplistic way of looking at it, by the way. That's not exactly what's going on, but that's kind of what it sounds like. It's like they've got like this hole in the middle of their voice, and then you help them get that back. You help decompress their voice. You help the vocal cords start vibrating together in a healthy way again, and then you give them their voice back, and that is like one of the coolest things. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I saw you did a video about um, you know singers that lost their voice, and I think Steven Tyler was even on that list, but a lot of yeah. them have had surgery, and then they can get back, and they can regain it but the sad one was it was a julie andrews that she andrews. from sound of music and she had yeah. some surgery and it they botched her voice so it's completely gone and she could never sing again that's so sad yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so back in those days we were kind of in the dark ages of like vocal surgeries mm. like they they would literally get in there with like a scalpel and stuff like that um in order to to try to fix what was going on um, these days, a lot of it's done with lasers and it's much more precise and mm. people, they just know a lot more yeah. about, about how deep and stuff, not to gross any of your listeners out, but how deep into the vocal cords they can go in order to repair something. And that's kind of what happened with Julie Andrews is mm. they, they accidentally cut just a little too deep and they, they nicked the muscle underneath, mm. um, the cover of the vocal folds. And when you when you do that, unfortunately, you kind of like really hurt the muscle so that the vocal cords can't come together and vibrate in a healthy way sometimes ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she sued the the hospital that did it, and she won, um, rightly so. But another interesting example is like Freddie Mercury had nodules, had had those calluses on his vocal cords that I was just talking about. And uh, he didn't do anything about him because he was like, you're not getting you're not getting close to this thing. It's also why he didn't fix his teeth. He's like he and he was dead right, um, because back in those days, you know, who knows what could have happened? It could have turned out very, very badly or it might have turned out well. But the truth is, if they had done anything with his teeth, his entire his whole sound would have changed. Mm hmm. A huge part, a huge part of the reason the way that I sound, the way that I sound is because of the way the the composition of of my mouth is made up and the same for you. And that's why no two voices are exactly the same. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's super cool stuff. It's interesting stuff. I love your channel. It's great stuff. Uh, Question on this, though. Songs that, you know, do you go to like karaoke and stuff? Do you you watch other people sing and you sing? Song, are you sick yes. of certain karaoke songs? Like, I get so sick of here. If I have to hear Picture again or Don't Stop Believing or Sweet yes. Caroline, do people come to you and ask you, hey, can you teach me how to sing Don't Stop Believing? Are you like, no, I won't teach you that? Are there certain songs you will not teach, or is it just like, well, this is part it's of my on, It's on my no list. Yeah. Um, no, I wouldn't say there's there's no song that I wouldn't work on. There's no song that I can imagine that I wouldn't work on with a with a singer. Maybe, maybe, uh, some rap or hip hop songs if they don't have any singing to them. Okay. Maybe I might say no on those because I think that my, my talents are better used elsewhere with actually helping people sing. Um, but you know, that's not to say that I can't help rappers do what they do, but better. Um, but there are definitely some songs that I've worked on a whole lot. And the interesting thing about it to me is that I don't really get too sick of it Hmm. um, because there's some there's there's comfort 
in knowing where all the landmines are buried. And I actually like knowing, you know, what's coming up with a song. They're just going to like, okay, they're doing fine now, but wait until you get until like a minute and 15 seconds in. That's when stuff starts to get real (laughs) because and it's going to be like okay so how can i help this singer in my mind i'm thinking like how can i help this singer fix this issue that i know is going to be a problem for them so i actually kind of enjoy that part of it that's cool um with heavy metal there's so many different i mean there's the screamo but like the thing i don't know when this was really invented maybe the 80s or the 90s it was like they started this death metal like I guess uh, I've heard it called like the cookie monster voice. Like, what is your take on that? Do you, do you, would you work with somebody that wanted to do that? Or is that just like, no, this, I don't do this. Um, that's probably not my forte. I'd be happy to give it a shot, but there, there are like entire, there are vocal coaches that spend, uh, Melissa cross comes to mind. Um, who that's their entire brand is that they hmm. work with, wow. with these singers that do this. And what's interesting about Melissa cross is that, um, a lot of the things that she teaches are very similar to what I teach. Like she also teaches like, you know, how to sing from the diaphragm and how to, you know, how to not like strain your voice and raise your larynx when you're singing high notes. Um, But because she has so much experience working with these singers that are really good at these kind of really crazy sounds, um, she's help, uh, she's helping them do what they do, but better. So I would say that she and I have a very kind of similar mission, but my specific kind of, um, I would say my niche is more like pop, rock, R&B, country, folk, like some some of the more mainstream kind of sung styles of music. Are you and are you working with you work with people all over the country and the world via Zoom and Skype or do you work yeah. with a lot of people in Austin though or do you, are you are you plugged into the Austin music scene at all? You know, it's crazy. So before COVID, I was definitely way more plugged into the Austin scene. Hmm. And then uh, COVID definitely, I, I was I was still teaching online before. I was still teaching over Zoom and Skype um, to people all over the world back then. But because of COVID, everything went online, went virtual. Mm-hmm. And it's a blessing, really, um, in that like my reach also grew simultaneously at the same wow. time because my YouTube channel really started sure. taking off. And um, so I was doing like all these virtual conferences. And so nowadays so I'm surprised when I get a, a student that's from Austin, hmm. like, oh, because that's one of my first questions. Like, hey, where are you calling me from? And they're like, oh, I live in Austin. It's like, cool. All right, moving on. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just like, it's one of those kind of weird things where it's like, huh, that's interesting. I guess I'm, I guess I still got juice here. Um, technically I'm the highest rated vocal coach in all of Texas with, I think I've got like 90 or something, five star reviews, um, which is more than like any other privately owned studio in Texas. So I think that that still draws a lot of people locally, nice. but I also know that like a lot of people internationally see that stuff too, cause they want to make sure they're going to take voice lessons. It's with someone that's not just some rando from YouTube that talks good. <laughs> it's it's right. like some guy that actually knows how to teach no that's really cool is there any any singers that are up and coming that we should look out for that you're plugged into like either that you've just seen or you worked with or let me think about that for a second let me come back to that yeah because i i i'm always i'm always looking for the next up and coming thing because some of the bigger names you know i can't get on my podcast but if somebody's small right now i could maybe get them on the show and then Uh blow up and hopefully they'll remember me that's kind of my strategy with that you know i 
I will say this. I um I really really love this is the this is just one example and it's a very unique voice. Um David Ramirez, have, are you familiar with him? Mm-mm, I don't think so. He's an he's an Austin guy as okay. well. Um and he just does some really really beautiful kind of country mixed with indie mixed with folk. Um and he's got a beautiful baritone voice. And it's just one of those interesting things that um, it's, you know, you can tell that he writes everything on an acoustic guitar or a piano, mm. but when he produces it, it sounds like, it sounds like now as well. Okay. And, and I really, really love that about him. He's got a song called Watching From a Distance that I think people should check out. Okay. I will definitely check all that out. Um, anything else that you want to promote? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we talked earlier about like finding your vocal range and that's one of the, that's one of the most important things that a singer can do yeah. um, to start learning about their voice. So I'd recommend people check out my Rangefinder app at Yeah, Range I did Finder. it. It's cool. Yeah. Rangefinder.ramseyvoice.com. Okay, cool. Check that out. And then I always end up promoting a charity. Is there a charity that I know you've promoted mental health stuff before, if there's something else that you want to give a shout out to here? Absolutely. Um, let's keep it local. I'd love to. Um, I'd love to talk just a little bit about the Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. Um, it's a really, really cool charity um, because a lot of the working musicians in Austin. So, first of all, um, Austin is known as like the live music capital of the world. A lot of people don't know that, but we have like I think per capita like more stages than almost any other city. Um, in you the think world. it's more than Nashville? I feel like so, Nashville's got you beat on that. So that's a that's a good question, and we could. We I could love fact- Austin, though. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. I, I I want somebody to fact check this because okay. um, it changes over time. But I feel like Nashville is really, really um, the the stages are kind of isolated to Broadway. Not not obviously not completely to Broadway, but in Austin, it's like there's stages like all over, like every like restaurant and bar. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but like all all over town their stages and when i love it to, i love both places i need to go back to austin that's cool when you have you been for south by southwest no i don't think i can afford that it's always like isn't it like a thousand dollar ticket or something crazy like that well so you don't you don't have to have a wristband in order to like take advantage of mm. a lot of the stuff because okay. there's like you know those same acts that are but even getting a hotel is like yes Yes, that, that's, that's what I think I looked at. Nice. I looked at the hotel prices one time for South by Southwest, and I was like, what the? It was like ridiculous. Chuck, you're going to stay with me. I've got a blow-up mattress. Let's do it. it. I'm in. Yes, dude, I'm in. <laughs> we'll, we'll record. It. There's the fist bump. Yeah. Sorry, I was a little late on that. Virtual gotta, fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll do... Um, we'll do uh we'll do another interview from here like live it'll be yeah. great that'd be awesome um so let me just talk real quick about the health line oh yes the health line. let's help people <laughs> instead of ourselves well yeah i mean talking about talking about ourselves is fun too but um yeah so health alliance for austin musicians basically they provide affordable health care for austin's low-income working musicians so basically you know a lot of musicians here are technically self-employed um and they don't have any real access to health insurance or basic health care and uh you know a lot of them are struggling working multiple jobs in order to you know just get their basic needs met and so the health alliance for austin musicians is a really really cool um organization where they provide a lot of um prevention uh health care and a lot of wellness health care stuff to uh to the low-income 
musicians here in Austin. I don't qualify myself because I make too much money, which is <laughs> awesome, but I'm very, very happy. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a good problem to have. Um, but you know I what's definitely... weird about the, like the, the, and I don't want to get a political on my high horse about this, but it's just so weird how, okay. So if you make less than this, like, I don't know how Texas is, but Arizona, it's like, if you make less than 17,000, uh, they will give you a uh, free health insurance, which, okay, that's great. But if you make more than 17,000, no, you, you can afford your own health insurance yes. on $17,000. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, seven- Nobody can afford health insurance that makes $17,000 a year. I mean, even if you made like 25 or 30 or probably even like 35 or 40, yeah. I don't think you can afford health insurance. So that's, that's Dude, insane. Honestly, this one. Is there some sort of requirement as to how, they punish you if you make too much or. Yeah, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say they punish you, but it's just one of those things of like, they're really trying And the, the bracket for this one is much higher than that. If, if I recall correctly, but it is one of those things good. of like, honestly, dude, like I think that when I hear about people that are making even like 40K in Austin, that that's that not very much. Like, yeah, that's especially that with inflation. Like yeah, that's like almost, literally nothing. Yeah. Now, if like you're making like 80 wages. grand. Yeah. You can afford your own health insurance. We're not, yeah. we don't need, you don't need our help. But yeah, if you're making like 20s and 30s, you're struggling. You're struggling. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, I don't know. But that's well, great. Austin, I love organizations like that. And uh, there's a there's a few of them. So this one is called, what is it called again? The Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I love local stuff, local charities. I love learning about new charities. That's what's so fun about this, doing the show. And so very, very cool. Thank you so much for doing this, Matt. Very educational, very interesting awesome. stuff. People check out your channel. I will put it in the show notes. Awesome, dude. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. See you later. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with vocal coach Matt Ramsey. Uh, Matt shared some valuable insights and tips on how to improve your singing and uh, how you can sing at your best. Uh, So be sure to check out his website and social media accounts for more information and resources on vocal training. And my thanks again to Matt and all of you for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to both mine and Matt's YouTube channels. I'd appreciate that. Have a great day and shoot for the moon.